0: I'll say last week was nice, it was like a scaled-down version, Uh, and then this week was nice too, Uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the Holy Spirit this morning, so a couple things. Uh, I want to start off with, of course, everybody now knows we've got uh, tonight uh, happening, right? 5 p.m. is our uh, food truck festival, is what we're calling it. We've got three of them this summer, and we're super excited about it. Uh, I'm going to have a few things to say to you uh, with respect to uh, how, maybe even the purpose of, of why do this at all, and it will come toward the end, uh, but I think it's important that we as a church begin to reach out to our community, to, uh, to make some bridges, to build some bridges uh, to those people who are in our neighborhoods around us, uh, to the families uh, who live uh, maybe next door. Uh, to you, uh, to begin to uh, reach out uh, and build friendships uh, and relationships uh, that indeed the world may know. Uh, In the narthex is sitting, I'd say, about maybe 300 more of these. And if I'm counting right, that means if everybody takes about five-ish, and then you Deliver those, hand deliver to somebody after church today and say, hey, this is happening tonight, you should come to it. Then we will complete the, uh, the assignment, which is to get all of these out. Um, no pressure. <clears throat> the other thing I'd say is, and uh, it, can, it connects with all of this, uh, I don't know about you, but so Matt uh, Priest texted me last night and he said, hey, I've got an update on the Souls for Souls bin. And he told me uh, what had uh, happened, and uh, I—I'll be honest, Matt. I haven't said this to you. I was skeptical uh, when the whole souls for soul bin uh, idea came about. Uh. <laughs> Thank you for your forgiveness. Uh, and. Uh, and it has been remarkably effective uh, on a few fronts, uh, most importantly, in the fact that there is a ton of uh, giving happening and shoes are being given to people uh, who need shoes. Uh, and then the second thing is is um, it, there are a lot of people coming up our hill uh, because of the Souls for Souls bin uh, who, are, uh, who would otherwise not come up this hill. And we really, uh, we struggle to keep the bin empty, isn't this right? So that routinely, if you were to walk into the back of the church in, in this uh, room over to the side and you see a bunch of trash bags, don't worry, it's not trash. Well, it's not your trash. It, it's shoes uh, that have been emptied out of that bin because like literally, we, we're just constantly taking them out. Uh, and it's, it's truly remarkable uh, what is happening with that. Um, this, however, connects with uh, really the theme for today, which is um, which is outreach, right? I mean, it's 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 touching the community that's around us, and this is just one more way uh, that South Run Baptist Church uh, is engaging the community around us. Uh, and frankly, I love it. Um, these last few weeks, we have spent a considerable amount of time talking about sanctuary. And uh, we will continue doing that today, uh, but maybe with a bit of a twist. Uh, we indeed will continue uh, talking with uh, reference to a scriptural imagination for what a sanctuary is. Um, but in some respects today, today's sermon is, is a bit of a warning. Uh, you see, <clears throat> I think there's a temptation out there, and it's certainly a temptation for me, to think of uh, sanctuary as somehow like self-serving or maybe even like uh, church-serving, like it, that it's, it's ultimately about us and, and that there's this inward focus. Um, we think it is, it is my sanctuary or it is our church's sanctuary. Um, but to do this, I do believe, limits God's intentions. And uh, we read from First Kings 8, uh, which is uh, just a very brief snippet and a very lengthy prayer uh, that King Solomon gives at the dedication of the temple. Uh, and in this, Solomon makes it very clear at the consecration of the temple that the nations have a role to play in what's going on there at the temple. They will be drawn into the glory of God. Likewise, Jesus who embodies all the attributes of sanctuary and what that means, calls all people unto himself. And so therefore, as we attempt to embody as a church what it means to be a sanctuary, uh, let us be reminded that our church sanctuary is not for us alone, but that indeed we might share it with the world around us, drawing them to the very presence of God. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we come this morning and uh, we come with a sense of joy and a sense of expectation, Lord, uh, that you are the God who acts. You have acted so many times in history, Lord. And God, this morning, we are asking that you act here and now. Uh, we're asking that you act uh, in this worship service, in our hearts, that, that our worship indeed might be glorifying to you, and that we might bring glory to your name in this moment, in the here and the now. Uh, but we also ask that you act uh, today and, and, and this evening. First, at, at 4 o'clock, we come together, God, And we bring two men before you who uh, have been uh, nominated as deacons of this church. And we will place hands upon them. And we ask that your spirit anoint them. And that is an exciting time. And then at five o'clock, we continue and the party continues. And we bring people up here who have never been up here before. And God, we ask that your presence be made known in supernatural ways that only you can do, Lord. We ask that your presence uh, be found in the people who are up here in your church, South Run Baptist Church, and we ask that your presence be found in our property, in this sanctuary, and we just ask, Lord, that this evening be filled with you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. In some ways, what I want to do today is actually quite simple and maybe a little too simple, so forgive me. Uh, but it's, uh, I mean, it's reading through a lot of Scripture. Uh, so I'm going to ask you right now to go ahead and get your Bibles out. I, I have seven, because that's a biblical number, uh, passages that I want to read. Uh, seven passages. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one sitting in front of you, and you're welcome to grab that. Uh, If you need to keep it, uh, that's fine as well. Uh, Feel free to mark in it. I'm going to give you the passages up front. If you're taking notes uh, that way, when we get to them, you're you're ready. We're going to start in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, Exodus 19, 5 to 6, 1 Kings 8, 41 and 43, which was our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 49, 5 to 7, John 12, 23 to 32, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20, and lastly, the book of Revelation, which has lots of sevens in it, Revelation 5, 6 to 10. The sermon is a marching through scripture and marching through biblical history uh, to see how uh, God's sanctuaries uh, are intended to uh, function with respect to the world around it. And by the world around it, I do not mean Israel. Uh, I mean the world around Israel and the world beyond Sometimes we call them the nations, and it's a good reminder uh, that technically we are part of the nations, right? The nations simply means Gentiles, simply means non-Jews or non-Israelites. And so when we talk about the nations, this is in part uh, what we have in mind. But when we talk about it today, we mean uh, also that the world is, that, is, that is beyond uh, those who have heard the gospel or who have accepted the gospel, who uh, I just will say very clearly up front, who God is very interested in bringing into knowledge, saving knowledge uh, that um, we should not underestimate. So let's dive in, and we'll start with Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 through 3. And in many ways, this is uh, the great, the, a great place to start because it's the beginning of salvation history. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 in Genesis uh, are kind of the ordering and disordering and the chaos and, and, and the ordering of the world. Uh, and then with chapter 12, uh, the stage has been set, uh, and now The world needs to be redeemed, and God chooses one man, Abraham, uh, and he chooses to redeem the world, starting with one singular person. And we get this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great." And if we were to stop there, we would be to stop way too soon, right? But often, this is the kind of place we actually stop at. This is what the, we want to hear. We, we want to hear messages where we hear things like, I will make of you, South Run Baptist Church, a great nation or a, a great church, and I will, I will bless you so that your name will be great. But it doesn't stop there. It certainly includes that, obviously but it continues. And it continues with a so that. God will do all of those things so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? And there it is all the families of the earth will be blessed through this this one person and his family and the nation that comes out of Abraham. And from the get-go, from the very beginning of salvation history, which is chapter 12 of Genesis, the whole point of it all is that all the nations might know that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is a cosmic scope to God's redemption plan right up front. One definition that we could add to our definitions of of a sanctuary is a place where blessing happens, or a people who bless, or more specifically, a place or a people through whom God blesses. And my hope for our church, as we dig deep into what it means to be a sanctuary, is that we be a church who blesses not just our own selves, but the community and the world that is around us. Moving to Exodus 19, 5-6, we're now getting closer to an actual sanctuary. We're getting close to that tabernacle, and God wants to set up this place where God dwells, and where he can meet with Israel. And in verse 5 and 6, we read the following. He gives a description of who Israel is supposed to be, and he says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, if you will indeed keep my covenant, well then you shall be my treasured possessions. And there again, like if, I think we want to stop there. And we want to say, well, that's great. I, I really want to be God's treasured possession. We all, we all should. And in some ways, it's, it, it's, it's a nice stopping point. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. You shall be my treasured possession among all people. Among all people, right? There's a purpose to being the treasured possession. And he says, for all the earth is mine. It's all mine. It's all my treasured possession. But you, you're, you're, you're special. There's something about you. And my plan is to redeem the rest of it through you. You. And he continues in verse 6, and he says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And now, the key here is understanding what a priest is. Because the job of the priest is to serve others. In this case, Israel is tasked not with just being priests to themselves. They are a kingdom of priests to the world. The whole nation is a priest to the rest of the world. They serve the world. They draw the rest of the world into God's very presence. And it's worth saying, just kind of in passing, that Israel both succeeds in this endeavor and they fail spectacularly. (laughs) Next verse, 1 Kings Chapter 8, 41 to 43. As I've said here, we're now at the temple, another sanctuary, another place where God dwells. But this time, instead of a tabernacle that marches around and through all sorts of places, we have a fixed structure. We have the temple. And Solomon builds it, David's son. And he consecrates it with this lengthy prayer that's worth reading. There's all sorts of wonderful theology inside of it. And then you get to what we're going to read right now, which I'll be honest, the very first time I saw this, I was a little surprised. Because if I were setting up a temple, I might kind of fail to recognize maybe the larger purpose of what we're doing in that moment. If we were to like build a church, for example— We might uh, rally around the church in the ways in which uh, the church building, the new building project we had created, uh, was, was a wonderful thing for our church. But in reality, and this is what Solomon remembers, it's meant for the world, that the world may know. And so we read this. Likewise, when a foreigner, who is not of your people Israel... Just clarifying there right a foreigner who's not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When this person when he comes and he prays toward this house, O oh God, here in heaven, listen to him You're Uh, Here in heaven, your dwelling place. And do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this house that I have built is indeed called by your name. This, frankly, is where I got the title from, that the world may know. It's housed within this passage here. The world needs to know about this God, the God who acts, the God who does, the God who reaches the brokenhearted, the God who judges justly. And here we have a passage in which Solomon reminds us that is exactly the sort of God found at the temple. The next passage comes to us from Isaiah. Now, at this point in Israel's history, if you're turning, Isaiah 49, um, at this point in Israel's history, the temple has been destroyed. And there is uh, significant sadness because uh, the people of Israel have been carted off uh, to Babylon, and they are in, in dire straits. And they are waiting a day where God indeed does return to the temple and dwells with his people once again. And Isaiah gives us this wonderful hope of what is to come at some point. And in Isaiah 49, 5 to 7, we get this. And and this time I'm using the NIV translation. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't love uh, the way the ESV had translated uh, the, the key part to this. But it goes like this in verse 5. Now the, the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Before I go on, what he's saying is this. He's saying, God is saying in this moment, it's not enough that I simply restore Israel to its former glory. That's not enough. That wasn't the plan from the beginning. That wasn't the plan uh, from uh, Abraham Uh, and uh, and his family that follow him, and the nation that grows up. The, The whole plan was that the nations and that the world might be redeemed by this God. And so he continues, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the tribes of Israel. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles." that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And there it is. Once again, the hope of Israel is expanded. The hope is not just setting up the temple again and, and going through the motions or setting up a church somewhere and going through. The hope is that the world might know that the, the presence of God in the sanctuary space might find its way out in and through the world, that it too might be redeemed. The next step is into the New Testament. John, chapter 12, 23 to 32. And here we have Jesus. We have Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says to them, in verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, and whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus says. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. No. This is the purpose that I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes down from heaven and says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And here's Jesus talking about his own death. It's right around the corner. And he's saying his soul is troubled, and he could say... You know, take this away from me. But he recognizes that this is the whole purpose of his coming. He came for this specific reason. And he's saying, too, that as the embodiment of the temple itself, this is who Jesus is. He's the embodiment of the temple. And all of the attributes of the temple and the tabernacle and sanctuary that we've talked about, They rest upon Jesus himself. And he takes all of them on. And then he reminds us of one really important thing that sanctuary spaces are supposed to do. And he says, Father, glorify your name. And we can't miss it. It's all about the glory of God. Whether in the Eden narrative It was about the glory of God. The creation of the world was about the glory of God. Whether the Sinai experience, it was about the glory of God. Whether the tabernacle or the temple, it's all about the glory of God. And then here, even at the cross, it too is about the glory of God. But there's more to come. And I don't want you to miss the point of what is about to come. Because it's primarily about God's glory, yes, but the good news of Jesus Christ is that you and I are being drawn into that glory by the open hands of Jesus Christ. And this is what it looks like. He continues in verse 29 now, still in chapter 12. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And then Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And this is what Jesus does. He draws all people, the emphasis on the all people. The goal is not just the good people, it's not just the church people, it's not just the people living in North America, it's the all people of all times and all places that Jesus is interested in. And friends, I believe that Jesus shows us the way. All that we do maybe a, a, especially our creation of sanctuaries, is, is to draw others, like Jesus, to the glory of God. But do not miss the essential feature of what Jesus teaches us in this moment, because there is something a little different about it than what we find in the Old Testament passages leading to this point. The way that Jesus leads us to the glory of God is cruciform in shape, to use a big word, or just to simply say it's in the shape of a cross. Our lives are to be drawn into the cross-shaped life of Christ that we too might draw the world into glorifying the name of God by living cross-shaped lives. Matthew 28. 18 to 20. You're familiar with this one. It's the final words of the book of Matthew. It's the Great Commission, right? Jesus has finished his task on the cross, has been resurrected from the dead, and now he's ready to send his disciples out And it's worth just kind of paying attention to exactly what gets said here so that we don't miss the nature uh, of what we're supposed to do, the task of what we are called to. Verse 18. And Jesus came, and he said to them, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go!' Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so now that Jesus has demonstrated his cross shaped leadership, he says it is time to go make disciples. To go to all the nations, and you can think of this as going to Africa or wherever, if you you like, but since most of you, and myself included, will probably not end up doing missions in Africa at some point, I would encourage you to think of going to all the nations in an Acts 2 sort of way, which is to say... That all the nations came to the disciples in Jerusalem. We live near Washington, D.C. All of the nations are coming to us, are they not? They are. We are fortunate enough to be near the capital, to be near the center of it all. And I encourage you to see your backyards as a mission field your workplace, and your school as a mission field. These are the places where the nations have come to us, and we get to demonstrate the cross-shaped life of Christ to them. We get to be the sanctuary and the refuge for those people by imitating Christ and drawing the world to the glory of God. But I will say There's a tough part in what Jesus says here. He doesn't just say we are to go to the nations. That's not what he says. He says we are to go to all the nations, which is to say all the people in your life's orbit. Not just the ones you like, not just the ones you agree with or laugh at, but the ones who you think are complete idiots because of their politics, the ones who get life backward and misunderstand it all, the ones who annoy the stew out of you because they mow their lawn at ungodly hours in the morning or in the evening, the classmate who rarely speaks to you and instead just glares at you all the time. With full knowledge that these people are in your life, because they're in mine, too. <laughs> Jesus says, go to all the nations. That word all there gets stuck in my throat a little bit, and I imagine it does in yours, too. And then we get to the final scene, Revelation 5, 6 to 10. Reading it, we find this. Between the throne And the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they started singing a new song. And before I read the new song, just let me tell you exactly what has happened in that scene right there. It won't take but a minute. You see, the book of Revelation is filled with all sorts of weird imagery, and we get this slain lamb with uh, the seven horns, and the seven eyes, and the seven spirits, and, and, and the creatures, and all kinds of weird stuff. Here's what's really going on. There was weeping before this scene happened, because no one in heaven or on earth was capable of opening that final scroll of life that needs to be opened. Until one person, and just one person, was capable of doing it. And it turned out to be the slain lamb. Of course, this is Jesus Christ, who was slain on our behalf. That we might, too, participate in the opening of this book of life. And so once that happens, and once that event happens, then you can see why there's rejoicing in heaven, and why a new song needs to be sung, and this is the song that gets sung in this moment. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, every tribe, and language, and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom, and you have made them priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This frankly is one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture. There is weeping in heaven right before it because no one can open the scroll until the slain lamb walks up to the throne of God and takes it. And there is one being in all of the universe able to open that scroll, and it is Jesus Christ, the same Jesus who draws all nations to himself through the upside-down power of the cross of all things. But one of my favorite lines is in 9 and 10. By your blood, Jesus, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. But the punch of that part comes in what comes next. You've made them a kingdom, and you've made them priests, and they shall reign on the earth. Did you catch it? Do you remember that annoying neighbor who doesn't share your politics and mows the lawn too early in the morning? God is drawing him to glory too. What's more, God wants to turn that neighbor into a priest and into someone who will reign on the earth with us. but they need to hear the message, don't they? They need somebody who will go to them and speak to them. They will need somebody to give them a card and invite them to the church and to say, come on up the hill, we'd love for you to enjoy our church property together. We need somebody to bring them simply into the presence of God. Charles Finney says it this way, If the presence of God is in the church, the church will draw the world in. If the presence of God is not in the church, the world will draw the church out. I think there's a lot of truth to this. South Run Baptist Church. Do we have the presence of God among us? The answer is yes. I know you. We must draw the world in, because the world must know. Let's pray together. God, our Father in heaven, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and laid himself down and was resurrected from the dead. Holy Spirit, who is poured out on the people of God and dwells in our hearts. We come this morning and we ask you. We ask you to be part of what this church is doing We need your presence in this place here and now in this day and into the future, because if you're not part of this, then this is simply a country club, and we're having a good time together. But that's not enough. That's not what I'm interested in, and I know, God, that is not what you would have us do. So, God, I pray. I pray that you indeed would fill us with your Spirit, that we would go out of these doors and that we would tell the world, that we would invite them to this place, that we would invite them into your very presence, and, and that this sanctuary and that the sanctuary of our church and the sanctuary of the church's people would be a magnet, a, a magnet to the world that we would draw people into your glory because ultimately, God, that is what it's about. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.